1: The title of the book, are Sacred Journeys," and the author and poet is Linda Duncombe, and Linda joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Linda. Good morning. How you doing? Good to have you with us. I'm going to read a few things just to kind of set the stage about your poetry and and help everyone understand a little bit where you're coming from and then we'll get into the details have you read some and comment on your poetry Uh, you say this i started working on my poetry during my travels i feel like each poem holds a special message some of these poems are about people i have met during my earth walk and about the special things that they have shared with me during our encounter. Some poems reflect what I have seen during my travels, and the spiritual aspects of what was shared with me during these travels. And some of these poems also reflect what I have seen in my work as a nurse, and how I have dealt with the struggles in my own earth walk, with the help of my spiritual beliefs. That's right. Well, you've had a lot of experiences that you wanted to share in a very special way. Why did you choose this style, this poetry prose style?
2: I think it chose me. I, I was traveling with my husband one, on one particular trip. I can't remember what it was. I picked up a pencil and just started writing and I uh, came up with a poem for my sister uh, who is struggling with her own illnesses right now. And uh, I was worried about her, and I just wrote a poem uh, for her. And I think that's where it all started. It just kind of opened the door, and things started flooding, flooding to me um, ever since.
1: Well, when you write in this style, it seems to concentrate emotions and feelings and, and uh, is, is much more pointed, or maybe that's not the more... I guess I keep thinking of the word "concentrated," uh, and brings us to somewhat of an understand of what, understanding of what you are feeling when you're writing these.
2: Uh, that's correct. Um, it's a poetry is very is a very personal um, way of expressing emotions, and how I look at it from my point of view is that when i when i take a look at something i'm seeing the emotions from the other side coming back toward me and that's what i put down in my poetry Um, when during my travels uh, especially when i go up to uh, the pine ridge indian reservation um, i've been through uh, wounded knee several times and i stop and pay my respects But I feel like, I I feel the emotions coming from that place, coming to me and telling me stories. And I would like to read one uh, of my poems. It's called Wounded Me. It starts off, tender touches of the wind traveling through open ranges, stirs up scents of sweet grasses and sage, which rises up to meet lost souls looking for their way back home. Yellow flowers scattered their medicine into the wind, stirred up by the hosts of ancient buffalo, trying to heal our people's sacred homelands. Alone on a bloody hilltop, a small white church sits, overlooking graves of women and children and old men, who carried no weapons, but who were killed by Christian men in the name of God and gold. Here lies testaments to greed and indifference, prejudice and hate, now written on a monument made of cold, dark stone. Tears forever frozen in time, so we may never forget. Well, that That's, really
1: t- that really takes me there. Yeah, that takes me right to that place. And you have a special affinity with uh, American Indians?
2: Yes. Uh, my earth walk has uh, taken me along the Red Road, and what that is, is is one's personal walk to God or the Creator following the ways of Native American spiritual practices. And I've been looking for my own connection to Native Americans um, and found out that you know uh, way back when you know I have a uh, connection to uh, a native tribe in, in Canada for my family and that kind of lets me have a toehold on on uh, my physical connection to uh, Native Americans but more than that is is my spiritual connection my spiritual walk and i've been you know doing this for my whole adult life and that spiritual walk has taken me to many places and uh places where i have met many different types of people and have sat there and listened to their stories and seen with my own eyes the struggles that they go through in their daily walks there's another poem that I want to share with you. The poem is called Woman of the Sun. Fighting a world of, uh, filled with prejudice while trying to protect their children against the many evils of a dying society. Strong women whose prayers hold up their families before themselves into the light of our Creator. Teaching an ancient language and traditions once fought round in white man's alcohol to do a generation dying of junk food and soda pop. To women of strong prayers who set aside their lives to pray for the people, to the woman of the sun who danced to bring the healing to all the land, I give my love and respect. Because what you have shared with me, I now understand, that we are all sisters of the same blood, truly related in in the eyes of God. And a medicine man once told me that we share one thing in common with everybody, is that our blood is all red. No matter if you're...
1: No matter the color of the skin. No matter
2: the color, we all share the same color blood.
1: That's right. We are all of one family. That's right. Even though a lot of people don't see that.
2: (laughs) No, they don't. No. Uh, And really, this this walk has brought me to look at other uh, aspects of different religions. And see, I'm trying to find... A common thread of, uh, that would tie this world together instead of always taking a uh, scissors and trying to cut that thread into little bitty pieces. And, uh, that's kind of what I do for fun, I guess, if, if that's my hobby, as I study, um, other religions, uh, which kind of goes back of, of kind of who I, um, I have studies in the past that kind of uh, has been an influence on my life. Um, you know, people like um, the Dalai Lama, uh, Leo Tolstoy, uh, Henry David Thoreau, uh, Gandhi. Uh, those people, um, they all have a common thread, even though there may not be what people think of religious leaders now. Uh, we're, in their own time, uh, walking a very strong walk. And I'm trying to find the commonality between all these people and then kind of seeing if I see that same commonality in today's world, in, in the religious leaders of today. And uh, that's kind of... Uh, that kind of fascinates me. Uh, there was an incident uh, during one of my travels where um, I saw uh, two people on the, on the roadside, and uh, they were walking, um, carrying all their possessions on their backs, and I sat and talked to them for a while, and uh, they were actually trying to minister to people during their travels. And that kind of fascinated me, and on the way back into, into a town, I wrote this poem. It's called uh, Ministers to the Wind. Two lost souls looking for God in the hearts of strangers, preaching the version of his word to the wind while searching for ways to work off others' sins, tortured by past evils and circumstances, looking for forgiveness for themselves but not for others. While carrying life's burdens on their back, they travel along endless roads, their church only shelters along man's highways. Here they sit alone, waiting for parishioners who will never come. But As the sun goes down, cuddling beneath an old blanket, they will find comfort and love with each other underneath the stars, and solace and peace and ministering only to the wind.
1: Well That's beautiful. You, In fact, it kind of emphasizes what I have here in front of me, a statement by... You you say many things cannot be learned by reading. You must sit and listen to the many stories that are told you by your elders, as well as just sitting and listening to God's voice in the wind. That's right. Kind of what some people call that still small voice.
2: It's not a, it's not a small voice. It's very loud if you listen to it. <laughs> It
1: kind of just goes throughout your whole being.
2: That's right. You, know, you need to be open up to it. It's a very peaceful feeling uh, when you hear it. There's a poem that I wrote, uh, When the World is Silent, which kind of explains God's voice uh, the way I have heard it. And the poem goes like this. What do I hear when the world is silent? When old man made sounds do not exist. I hear the cry of an eagle calling me to a secret place high in the mountains where time stands stills and the, si- and the sounds of silence are deafening to untrained ears, where footsteps are only echoes along canyon walls and sounds of human breaths are taken away in the wind. Can you hear the voice of God in the roar of the falls and the raindrop that falls upon the water? Follow the voice of God to that secret place that can be yours, a place where time stands still. Where his voice can be heard over the chaos of man. Remember this, my children: to man, silence is the absence of sound; to the eagle, silence is the absence of man. What do you hear when the world is silent?
1: A lot of people don't like silence.
2: <laughs> no, they don't.
1: Kind of, it's just too hard to, I guess, deal with their own thoughts.
2: <laughs> yes, um, you know, I've I've started traveling when I was younger. And I've backpacked uh, many a mile in New England where I grew up. And the biggest thrill of, of any of my trips is when I can kind of get alone from the group that I was with and listen to the wind in the trees and listen to the water running and watch the sunrise above the mountains and be knowing that I'm the first one that probably see the sun come up. Little things like that um, started me off on this on this road that I'm currently walking.
1: And will you write more?
2: Oh uh, yes, I'm I'm writing more. Um, matter of fact, uh, one of my poems that I uh, submitted to a contest uh, actually won a contest, uh, and it's going to be published. And uh, it's called Lessons from Tolstoy. And I wrote that one in about uh, I don't know uh, while I was at school one day, and because I you know I've been studying him, and, and it's kind of not uh, my normal poem, <laughs> not something that I normally uh, write about and uh, it was kind of worrisome uh when i when i wrote it saying you know that doesn't sound like me <laughs> but uh, obviously people like it so uh you know it's it's kind of like maybe i've taken a turn in my in my writing towards something else this book was written uh in memory of uh to my husband and my dad uh, my husband died uh, 2 years ago and my dad died last year and a lot of this, these poems um, toward the end of the book kind of reflect how I'm handling, or how I handled the grief during the initial year after he died. And at the same time, not only handling his death, but handling um, the uh, other people's grief, you know, as my work as an ER nurse. And a lot of that uh, emotion that I've seen and felt uh, during that year, that's part of my, uh, that's a big part of the book.
1: Well, the title of the book is Our Sacred Journeys, uh, Poems and Prose from Linda Duncombe. Linda, tell us how to get your book.
2: Uh, the book is available uh, from Author House. And also, it's it's listed on Amazon.com, and it's available. And I hope that people um, uh, enjoy it and uh, get something out of it.
1: I'm certain they will, Linda. Thanks for joining us and sharing all your feelings and insights and some of your poetry. So thank you.
2: Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
0: listening to author talk we'll be back right after these messages innovation and insight problems and solutions capitalizing on your ideas and efforts that's all a part of changing the world one invention at a time with Rick Rowe Thursday evenings at 6, 5 central on toginet.com Rick will be sharing stories of innovation invention, inspiration and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that and are doing that Rick will be asking the right questions, helping you identify the real problems, and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence and, more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guest teach us how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time. With author and inventor, Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on Togginet.com. your Look
1: who's on number one. Now you might think Juan's youth was sad. Right. Cause he had a death kill mommy and dad. Right. But that ain't the case. Nope. It wasn't his fate. No. Nope. The wives never struggle to communicate. Ha. <laughs> Y'all wave your hands. Look who's on it's out. Dakota up. man Keith and he's number one.
0: It's That Keith Juan Show on tugginet.com Wednesday nights at 8, 7 central. Every week That Keith Juan Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions and personal lives with us to hopefully help us better understand others. The topics and guests will come from the American American Sign Language community. For more on Keith Wan and the show, go to his website keithwanwann. dot com. Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge.
1: Number number one, uh-huh. keeps number one, uh-huh. everybody put the man's on. Ooh. Number number one, uh-huh. keeps number one, uh-huh.
0: everybody put the man's on. Don't miss that Keith Wan show Wednesday nights at eight seven Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk. Brought to you by Authorhouse. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world.
1: The title of the book, The Golden Staff Saga. The first book of five in a series, this one titled Pillar of Light. And the author is Christina Neely. And Christina joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Christina. Hi. Well, this is an exciting book, a fantasy. We're talking about action adventure romance the lead character is a female you say this about your book my book is about an ordinary girl who ends up in another world where she is told that she is the only one that can prevent the other world from dying she teams up with people from the other worlds and develops abilities and her name is elena that's
3: correct elena is the main character of the book um She's just an ordinary teenage girl from Earth, and she wanders into the woods one day. Um, The woods are are pulling to her, calling to her, so she goes in, and she ends up in this other world where she meets various characters. And at first, uh, nobody, good king of this other world or this village doesn't like her and threatens her. Um, But then eventually he discovers that she's the only one that can actually save his world from from destruction.
1: How does he discover she's the only one?
3: Uh, He receives a vision from their deity. Their deity is called the Great One. And he actually, one day while praying, he receives a vision that she is the only one that can save save El Tepora.
1: Well, I started reading at the beginning of your book and it really draws you in. Suddenly we're in this dark forest, a much different forest with much different animals and other people in it. Now this forest leads to this other world and what's the name of the other world?
3: The other world is called El
1: Tapora. Is that for a special reason you named it that? Um,
3: Not really. I was just trying to come up with a name that was something sort of different and and that name just kind of came to mind, so I figured I would go with it and and that's what I named the the
1: world. Now you say that Elena now must face her fears and look inside herself if she is going to succeed, so this is great challenges for her.
3: Yes, that's correct. Um, In order to get the Golden Staff, uh, she has to pass through several trials and other people other warriors have tried to pass through these trials to get to the golden path and they've all failed so now her being an ordinary teenage girl feels a little lost helpless how can she get through these trials when trained warriors cannot
1: so one of the key messages you say in your book is no matter who you are and where you come from you can achieve great things
3: That's correct. Um, Throughout the book, Elena runs into a series of characters. All the characters have different abilities. They're all from different villages in in this world. Uh, Towards the end of the book, they actually go to a a third world. And, again, they meet more characters. And all these characters have to work together. They have to pull their strengths together, their weaknesses together, in order to save Tapora from dying.
1: And they must all look different.
3: Yes. Yes. Um, There are some that look like children. There are some that can breathe underwater, that have different colored skin. Uh, There are even some characters that are insects, that can talk and, and interact with the characters and become friends with them.
1: So another message you say is we've got to learn about our own strengths and even our weaknesses but you have to embrace everyone else's unique qualities to succeed. So this is kind of a a team effort.
3: Exactly. Everyone has different abilities, and no one person will be able to save the world from dying on their own. Elena, she may be the person who is chosen to save the world, but she'll never be able to actually get there without the help of the other characters in the book.
1: Now, there are some fierce... Beasts in this other world.
3: That's correct. Um, in the beginning, there's a dragon type creature that that chases them, and you know they have to escape from that. Um, there's later in when she's going to get the the golden staff in the trial, she has to face an actual beast all on her own in order to succeeding gets the staff itself
1: and there are warriors that are there to help her
3: right one of the people that she encounters is a great warrior who has special abilities of his own he can control rock the ground so he's a very valuable asset to her since pretty much in as the ground is made of rock,
1: and there are a lot of battles in in this other world i guess that you know people uh gets separated, and and uh, a lot of unexpected things happen.
3: That's correct. Um, at one point towards the middle of the book, Elena, before her trial, she gets separated from the rest of the group. So she has to contend on her own being, you know, this girl from Earth stuck in this whole other world while the other characters are trying to find her. And um, they actually get... I guess, another vision, if you would say, that they need to actually continue their journey. They need to stop looking for her and continue on with their journey if they ever hope to meet her again.
1: So another message, even though bad things happen, you need to keep pushing on.
3: That's right. Um, Throughout the whole series, characters get hurt. Um, Even in, in later books, you know, there may be some tragedy and they form this bond as friends trying to protect this world that every bad thing that happens no matter what happens they know that they need to keep moving forward they need to save this world in order to save hundreds or thousands of other people from getting hurt
1: yeah so many others are depending on them
3: exactly exactly the whole there are several worlds um, later you will actually find out that there are several worlds, it's not just El that's depending on their success. It's multiple other worlds that will die in the process.
1: Who is another character that works closely with Elena?
3: Uh, well, in this book, um, El Khan, he is the prince of, of El Trenad, which is the village that connects directly to the forest. He is her love interest, if you will. He's, he's a prince And she kind of feels a sort of emotional pull, I guess you would, towards him, since he's the first character she actually meets in the book from
1: this other world. And the antagonist, the enemy, who is that?
3: Well, the enemies are going to start off, they're going to be the sorcerers from another world. Uh, The other world is called Necron. And throughout the book, you kind of find that... The one, some people you may think is the enemy might actually end up being the ally. And as of yet, the real enemy has not yet been revealed.
1: Well, you say uh, Elena is given advice from multiple people along her journey. While she listens to each person, ultimately she must make the decision whether she's going to follow their advice or not.
3: Right. Uh, before her trials, she is told by a character, Malekin, that she will have to separate from her friends, that she's going to end up having to, to be alone in, towards the end of her journey. And ultimately, she's going to have to decide, does she really need to go a separate way from her friends, or can she stay by them and can they actually complete this quest together?
1: And she must choose her own path.
3: That's correct. Um, again, throughout... book she does she receives multiple warnings multiple advice from other characters and ultimately while she has to listen to what they say the path is hers to take she can't always listen to everyone she kind of has to decide which path she's going to go on is how she's going to do things
1: you've been writing for a long time
3: Yes, I actually I started writing in middle school, um, although I never actually got anything published then. I have uh, like 15 or so short stories actually written from, from a while back. And I've always wanted to, to get something published, and I just never really felt the short story was the way to go, I guess, even though I enjoyed writing them so much. Um, so I, I decided to try something longer. And I was just this idea just came to me one day about this ordinary girl who goes on an adventure to other worlds. And that's pretty much how I started writing The Pillar of Light, um, the Golden Staff saga.
1: Sounds like you want to go on that adventure.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it would be a very interesting adventure.
1: <laughs> that's for sure. That's for sure. Well any other closing thoughts?
3: Um I, I don't really think there's too much. Just, you know, give the book a try. It's a very good read. I've had several friends who read the book and, and said that they were, found it very interesting. And, and I just hope that everyone will, will give it a shot.
1: The first book of five in the series, Pillar of Light. It's part of an overall title, The Golden Staff Saga. Well, tell us how to get your book, Christina.
3: Uh, Well, my book is available at Amazon.com and and BarnesandNobles.com, as well as at the Author House website, and I have my own website. It's ChristinaNeely.com. It's also available for purchase there.
1: And Neely is spelled N-E-E-L-Y, ChristinaNeely.com. Well, thank you for being with us.
3: Well, thank you for having me today.
1: Christina Neely, the author of her book, The Golden Staff Saga, first book of five in the series, Pillar of Light.
0: You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages.
4: People think I've made it, I'm popular, I seem happy all the time, I have great clothes and I'm involved in everything, but I have questions, doubts, and fears, just like every other teenager. That's why I'm glad for Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices.
0: Join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com.
4: The choices we have to make that can alter the course of our lives. Life is too much pressure if we try to go it alone. I tune in to Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell every week to get reminded that I'm not alone. Nicole O'Dell is an expert on what happens in the lives of teenagers. Join her as she deals with topics like peer pressure, purity, drugs, alcohol, and many other things that might come up along the way. She writes books and speaks to people all over the place, but she says her favorite moments are when she can pull up a chair and chat with teens about what's important to us.
0: For more information on Nicole and her books, go to NicoleO'Dell.com. Then join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com.
4: Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices.
3: The American rock and roll countdown with Alex Brown.
0: Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Authorhouse. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world.
1: The title of the book, My Lipstick Journey Through Cancer, a journey of faith and finding the right shade. And the author is Anna Warner, and Anna joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Anna. How are you? Well, that's an interesting connection there. Lipstick and cancer. I'm sure you're going to explain all that. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Of course. But, hey, whatever works, right?
5: That's right.
1: When you're going through what you've gone through and others go through, I'm just thankful that lipstick is a part of your life. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get into more of why that is so. But I want to read a few things that you have written to set the stage for our conversation. You say this, My book is about my personal journey after being diagnosed with thyroid cancer. It was a challenging and complicated journey in that the cancer kept coming back. It was also a difficulty because of the complication of the surgeries to my neck. I'm a mom, a singer, a sales rep, and whose voice mm-hmm. is extremely important and yet was not able to speak for long periods of time, and I was told I would never sing again. Well, you proved them wrong, didn't you?
5: Yes, I sure did.
1: Yes, and, and you. And they also said some other things. Maybe you wouldn't be around very long, right?
5: That's right. After the first surgery, um, the, the first two things out of the surgeon's mouth to me were that uh, the prognosis is very bad and it probably wouldn't take very much time at all because he thought the cancer had spread to my lungs and everywhere else. And then the second thing he told me was, oh, and you won't be singing anymore. Right. So, you know, in my mind, the singing part was secondary, of course, because I have, you know, I'm a wife and mother. So my fight started with that first part, the you won't have very much longer. (laughs)
1: And singing has been a part of your life since you were how old?
5: Uh, My mom said that I had been singing since I was two, but um, for me, uh, probably junior high, high school is when I discovered that, wow, I could sing. And then from that point on, I was on radio and television Singing locally at sports events and,
1: um, and winning pageants, winning Miss Michigan National Teen Pageant.
5: <laughs> yes, I actually. The reason for the pageants was that I was extremely shy and um, very, um, just I guess, just shy and into just nothing but music and piano and dance. So my mom actually said, I'm going to put you into a pageant so you can blossom, and I hated that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was challenging, right?
5: That was very challenging, but once I was in and I met all these other girls from across the country, I literally thought, okay, this is kind of fun, because you know, backstage we were just all teenagers just having a good time, and then when they announced me in the top ten, I thought that was awesome. And then when they were announcing the top five, I was actually in the back row. My shoes were off because my feet were hurting. So the girl next to me nudged me, and she said, you're in the top five. And so I had to put my shoes on. And then when I won, that was extremely exciting. But then, of course, I had to spend a year socializing, which definitely took me out of my <laughs> comfort zone.
1: <laughs> well, good for your mom and good for you. I'm sure you yes, look back me- on that, and you're really grateful that your mom pushed you.
5: Exactly. She taught me, actually, perseverance and just uh, just to love myself and put myself out there because people will just, you know, they won't come to you unless you open yourself up to them.
1: So when did you discover the cancer?
5: I, I had been singing at church and a couple other different places, and I noticed for about six months, this had to be the summer of 2008, um... I was getting a sore throat pretty much every night. My throat would hurt, but I live in Michigan, so the air, the weather was changing, so I turned on the humidifier, and by the fall, I couldn't sing um, some of the notes that I would be able to sing previous. And so um, I was massaging my throat one day sometime between Christmas and New Year, and I felt a lump down at the base of my neck. So immediately the following week, I went into a physician's office. I went to an ear, nose, and throat physician. He scoped my throat. He didn't see anything wrong. So he just told me right there, he said, um, I don't see anything, so I believe you have thyroid cancer. <laughs> so he just said that I was the right age, um, typically women between 35 and 50, and um, since he didn't see anything and based on where the lump was, he thought it was cancer right away. He put me into an ultrasound the next day, biopsy a couple of days after that, and by the end of the week, I had my surgery scheduled. Wow.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. that's a swirl of events. How did you handle it when he first told you? Well, when you first felt the lump, I mean, must have all kinds of panicky feelings must have gone through you.
5: Yes. When I first felt the lump, it was, uh, it was large and I thought that's not supposed to be there. Cause you know, sometimes when you get sick, you have swollen lymph nodes. Well, this was so far down my neck and in an odd spot. So that was, pa- that was my first indication something was wrong. And when he said cancer, my first thought was, okay, I'm going to fight this because my kids are still young and I'm going to do all the research that I could. So. I did do the research, and it turns out that thyroid cancer is one of the most curable cancers. Um, but then of course, I had a several turn of events along the way, but I was very, very confident going into the surgery that they were just going to take my thyroid out. I was going to drink the radiation that you get when you have papillary carcinoma, and I was going to be done, and that was it. And of course, things took a turn, but um, honestly, I was confident right up at the beginning.
1: Now, you talk about emails that are part of the book. Tell us about these emails and the importance of them.
5: Initially, when I first received the diagnosis and prior to my first surgery, I sent out an email to all of my friends and family, just explaining to them what was taking place and the risks involved. And I was just asking for prayer because the subtitle of my book is, of course, called A Journey of Faith and Finding the Right Shade. So faith plays a big part. So I was asking for prayer and just support for my family during that time and recovery time. And then as the journey progressed and got more complicated, I continued to send out email updates and included a little bit of inspiration. And the updates had to do with the progress and the setbacks. After several emails, which took place over the whole three-year period, there were many people asking just for compilations if i kept those emails because they liked the messages that i put out in the positivity and they thought it would encourage and inspire and the messages that i sent out actually went out across the country because i have we have moved around a lot as a family so the different churches the different people passed on passed on passed on and that apparently there were over a thousand people praying and reading those emails so it kind of birthed the inspiration for the book. So all of those emails are actually included in the book.
1: Now let's get to the lipstick, the colors, yeah. the shades, uh, tied to some kind of an emotion.
5: Yep, that's right. So uh, I became a lipstick fanatic just coming out of college. And part of that had to do with the fact that I could not wear makeup all the way till i went to college because my parents were strict and then um in college i had a friend who wore hot pink lipstick every day and i would just look at her thinking how can you pull that off whatever she was wearing was hot pink on her lips um after graduating college and getting my first real job out of college um i would go to the mall and maybe want to buy shoes or uh a new suit for my job, but then I would look at the price tag and think, I don't want to spend my money on that. So I would end up thinking I could buy a lipstick because that's probably the least expensive thing in this whole department store. So that is how it started. And now 20 years later, um, it's become kind of, I'm not going to say an obsession. I'm just going to say it's a passion for me. And during my journey with the cancer, I felt, I found that any shift change in my mood um, or the weather, I would change my color of lipstick based on how I was feeling. And I thought, wow, there's a real connection between me and the lipstick. So the book kind of goes through and um, it starts off with the lipstick color and, as, and then it gives the reason as to why I choose that or chose that for that particular time. So what I found, I guess, through writing the book and my lipstick is that, yes, there is a connection between my moods and the color I choose to put on my lips. It's every, really bizarre.
1: Every color of lipstick has a reason. That's,
5: that's <laughs> it for me. That's right. That's
1: it. Now, you also talk about this being lighthearted and a little comical, but how in the world do you make that connection about cancer?
5: Well, for me, I'm kind of a quirky person. I'm, a, you know, I, I'm an artist, and so uh, I'm a musician. And I think all type artist type people have a little bit of quirkiness to them. So uh, any type of news I received, good or bad, uh, I was able to tie first with lipstick, but second with really a positive and kind of quirky um, comment, and so even at my worst which i would have to say was my second radiation i did i went through 7 weeks of external beam radiation when i was feeling my worst i found the comedy in it like my dog actually continually licking my neck and thinking i wonder because if my skin is burning inside and out if my dog thinks i smell like fried chicken <laughs> <laughs> So there's comedy in everything. I believe that. You know, you have to find the lightness in the darkness.
1: Well, as you put it, life can change in the blink of an eye. Don't forget to smile.
5: That's right. Absolutely.
1: That's hard to uh, sometimes smile, but it usually uh, pays off in the long run, doesn't it?
5: Yes. And actually, when... You smile you feel better and I just find that to be true in all aspects of life
1: and through all of this what has strengthened your faith and helped you to be so positive
5: uh, for me what truly strengthened my faith is first knowing that I had no control over everything and I had to look to something else to get me through and for me my faith was what I looked to um and second was the people that came forward and helped my family. They made meals. Um, they they came to just pray with me. And it just solidified the fact that um, if you put yourself out there and are kind to others, you sometimes only get one chance to meet someone, they will come out of the woodwork to help you through in your greatest need. So it's really uh, it's just solidified my faith in
3: people
5: and also um in god
1: well you say your book is a unique blend of humor friendship and emails revolving around a life-threatening condition infused with a daily jolt of course lipstick (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and yes. it's an actually a feel-good book a light-hearted book about a complicated cancer journey so yes congratulations and you're singing again
5: yes i am which is really really a miracle i guess most people when i talk now they don't know and when i sing they don't even know but it's taken so much to get to this point um After the first surgery, my right laryngeal nerve was cut, so my right vocal cord is actually permanently paralyzed. And then, of course, I had surgery two when the cancer came back, and then surgery three um, came about because the cancer came back and surrounded my left laryngeal nerve. And so actually now, after the third surgery and all of the radiation I got to my neck, my left vocal cord is partially paralyzed. So I'm speaking to you and I'm singing again with really a half functional vocal cord which is a little bit like um a one arm basketball player and it's so it's a lot of exercise and a lot of control in my mind to get my voice working the way it's working. So it's it's really a miracle. Even my physicians kind of look at it and think they don't they don't even know how it how I sound as clear as I do and how I can be singing again, but I know there's a purpose, and um, it's a miracle. I'm excited.
1: (laughs) Well, we're excited for you. That's wonderful. We would never know just listening to you that all of that is uh, not there anymore, basically. It's just been taken, but in spite of it, here you are talking so clearly and singing. So congratulations, and as you put it, live life passionately, and of course, wear (laughs) lipstick. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I'll pass on the lipstick. I guess I don't think I'd look <laughs> yeah. good. But uh, live life passionately. Well, congratulations. Just give us some closing thoughts.
5: Um, like I said earlier, um, and like you said, to just live moment by moment because you never know what the next day to bring and of next day brings. And also, of course, uh, treat people with respect because everyone has a story. They come from a different place. And sometimes you only get one chance. Um, Every time you walk away from someone, you leave them with either a positive or negative view of you, and I choose to leave them with a positive. And, of course, given what was given to me, to use your voice, um, treat it with respect. It's a blessing to use your voice, to stand up for what you believe in, and, of course, tell the people that you care about how much you love them because you don't know what the next moment may bring.
1: The title of the book, My Lipstick Journey Through Cancer, A Journey of Faith and Finding the Right Shade. And the author is Anna Warner. Anna, tell us how to get your book.
5: You can find my book on authorhouse.com or on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com.
1: Well, thanks again for joining us and sharing such a unique story and a story of hope and faith. Thank you, Anna.
5: You're very welcome.